Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we're reviewing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 5, The Examples. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. Like always, I'm your host Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Doing quite well. Glad, as always, to be here, and I am... Just biting, ready, not literally biting, but just <laughs> ready to talk about this. So, yes, very glad to be here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for joining, as always. And also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, dude? Doing good, man. Doing good. Excited to be here on a rainy Monday night, uh, but excited to talk about this exciting episode of Discovery. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Discovery, The Examples. The Examples was written by Cal Jaro, and the episode was directed by Lee Rose. Burnham and Book raced to evacuate a group of stranded colonists in the Anomaly's path as one of the Federation's brightest scientists comes aboard to USS Discovery to do high-stakes research with Saru and Stamets. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal Jones, what do you have for us this week? Alrighty, here we go. Seeing ourselves bluntly through the eyes of another can be most revealing. New ideas, perspectives, and theories abound, changing and revealing what is already seen. In this episode, however, I find evidence of one particular theory, the theory of relativity. Oh, nice touch there. Nicely done. And with that, let's go to Jonathan Shorts to give us your, you know, high level opinion of this episode. What did you think of the examples? Ah, man, it was an example of good discovery. (laughs) Uh, I am pleased to announce, in my opinion, I think they pulled the flash drive out for majority of the episode, which was good. Uh, But overall, man, I I loved it. Great story. Great action. Uh, It was a lot. I think I've learned a lot from this episode as far as our character building is going on. So, yeah, man, overall, just a great episode. Kyle, did you have any additional thoughts? Just really quick. I am so glad, Jonathan, you said what you did. I hope that they do not reverse the flash drive for you and zoom that back to you. But I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> nice touch with the zoom. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and if anybody's wondering what we mean when we say the flash drive, John was having some, let's say, um, energy from the Flash television show trickling out into his Discovery viewing, and we're going to throw away that Flash drive and burn it, never to be seen again. Cry about it while we do it. <laughs> and as for me, I really enjoyed this episode. We got introduced to a new character, which I feel was pretty intriguing. You know, something with Discovery when they always introduce new people. I have my. Uh, spider sense tingling because I just don't know if they're good or bad and definitely Ryan Tarka fell in that eh, he could go either way category and we're going to get into some of that but 
I love the mirror, the kind of character he was as to Stamets. So we again will get into that. And also, I think Burnham and Book had a pretty cool mission to go on. But I have some qualms with that mission also that I will bring up later. But let's get right into it. The USS Jane Way and the NSS T'Pol are investigating the anomaly in the DMA. Again, this dark matter anomaly just disappears, reappearing a thousand light years away, which leads us to think that this thing isn't naturally occurring. And we're going down this path now of it being man made, which I find very, very interesting. We get back to Federation headquarters. Vance poses some theories on what might be causing this since we think it's artificial at this point. He throws out some names of a few races, the Metrons, the Nassim, the Iconians, the Q Continuum. And for now, we're going to call it Unknown Species 10C. So we get a bunch of references here, different alien races. Did any of these look like they would be close to a race that could possibly be behind what's causing the DMA? Honestly, <laughs> no. The only thing comes close would be Q Continuum. But to this point, I mean, as far as I know, and from far as I think we all know through Trek, like Q Continuum has never gone to the extent of, I mean, let's just say murder. Right. Like and then maybe they have killed or destroyed, like disappeared a planet or a ship that kind of would look like murder, but they brought it back. So I, I, I don't see a cue continuum in that. But I, that's like the only one of these species they've thrown out there that would have this power. Now, I will say that the Nassim kind of seem like they could be at least loosely. They could be uh, responsible because, you know, they're they're the caretaker people. That's who the scene are. Yeah, but still, that level of power, I don't see them having. Yeah. Hmm. And the Metrons are some godlike beings from the TOS episode in which we saw the famous fight between Kirk and the Gorn. They're the people who made Kirk fight the Gorn. Um, so they, they have godlike powers as well. But again, it doesn't seem like they would be involved in something like this. Iconians possible just because of their advanced technology, but then it's, we're still talking about too much power. Yeah, yeah, which which uh, Tarka will kind of bring up a little bit later. Kyle, was this just meant to throw us on a cold path as viewers of this series? So we'll start going down a, <laughs> a, a theorizing rabbit hole that is like totally off the mark? Yes and no. And I mean that literally as in there are people that are diehard fans, and, you know, I'm going to point this to John. You are a diehard fan that will start going, oh, well, let me think about these names, et cetera, and so forth. And for the casual viewer, doesn't really mean anything. So this is what I think is perhaps fan service done right. You know, you mentioned that Clarence says to something else you and I were talking about before we started recording. So this, I just think, was a little fan service done right. Mm, interesting. So with all that said, the mission now is to figure out how the DMA works and then trace the technology back to its creators. Enter Ron Tarka of Ryza, of course, <laughs> a brilliant scientist who is, according to Vance's words, at the bleeding edge of technology, helping the Federation work on the next generation spore drive, as well as leading some of its scientific endeavors 
So just first impressions of Tarka, Cal, what did you think of Ruin Tarka? Bleep. <laughs> Seriously, I, th- I thought his character came across as very much of a bleep, and he played that character well. I mean, yeah. but literally, that that was, I mean, I'm just like reading the character synopsis as I'm watching it in my head, and I see this line, your character is a bleep. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Sean Doyle because he really acted his tail off in that role. <laughs> I, I really loved it. Uh, John, thoughts on on Tarka? Uh, I agree with Kyle on the bleep. Uh, but like my first thought was he did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just he's screaming throughout this episode. It's me. Really? That's how you like. I, I, and I know that's a theory, of course, and they wanted us to theorize. And I'm pretty sure they've written that in to kind of lean that way or kind of just foreshadow that a bit. Uh, But like, listen, there's no I I hadn't seen a Federation scientist like him yet. Short of a terraformer. There was like a crazy terraformer on DS9 that was like a bleep. And they're just known for that. But like, yeah, he's off the rails. But we, we are in the future. We are in the future. So, I mean, that does give him a reason to be a hole, of course. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just think he's a different kind of scientist. I even think what's the guy who got killed on the outpost in the first episode? I feel like he was kind of a hole, too. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, he's kind of I, I like he kind of reminds me of the uh, what was the guy's name in the wheelchair thing? Scientist. Oh, Aurelio. Yeah. Yeah, I really was even referenced in this episode as being tar- one of Tarka's bosses, I guess, mm. on on the the, oh. the spore drive work. They're working on the spore right. drive together. Well, the, he was the middleman between Stamets and that guy. Yeah. Moreover, what do we think of Tarka's problem solving methods? And we've talked a little bit about him being an a-hole, but this guy has a, a, a lack of a filter on anything he's talking about. He is, you know. If you look at Stamets, you would think Paul Stamets is a huge a-hole, but man, Tarka just takes it to another level. Thoughts on his problem-solving skills? We have the example of him pretty much telling Saru to scream to let out some energy. I mean, just his character, just just thoughts on some of the nuances of his character. He has become self-absorbed in the sense of those around him because of his ability for his and I know this is not the best word, but I'm just going to say it because it's what came to my head because of his smartness. Yeah. You know, he he has been put on a pedestal, in my opinion, that gives him not rightfully so, but gives him this. Well, I'm going to come in and show you what to do this. And I'm so smart. And everyone has treated me that way. That has just over time created this monster of which we saw <laughs> oh man agreed agreed john does does being brilliant give you the right to be rude morally no but i mean most time higher intelligent people are rude by default they don't mean to be mm. but like it's just uh what's the word i'm looking for uh i mean just their sentiment didn't doesn't come into then factor in like everything is facts factual to the point like and emotions just doesn't compute scientifically. And most of the time you see that 
and trick and everything else. Like the most intelligent people are less emotional. I can see that. And I agree with that. However, I think there's a division between what you just described and someone who is that smart, but also has the entitlement to some degree of it doesn't matter what I do because I am who I am. Mm, yes, yeah, oh. a thin line between. And very thin. And, yeah. To go overboard. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You can take it too far. Definitely. And for two thirds of this podcast being on Apple devices, Steve Jobs was kind of that figure with Apple. <laughs> mm hmm. Indeed. So Tarka theorizes that the DMA uses a highly stable internal power source far beyond the Federation's capabilities. He also suggests that someone created a tunnel through space time for this DMA. So that just gets me thinking any theories or thoughts on what might be behind this. Is this a remnant of the temporal wars? Like what's, what's going on here? Any thoughts on this temporal component and also the power source that is needed to power this anomaly? Huh? None. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Like, uh, what, what was the uh, species on the Enterprise? The main, uh, the Sulaban. Yeah, the Sulaban. So you know, back then they were playing with temporal technology that was pretty amazing for the time. Yeah, agreed. Like, and they have that malicious intent. And you know, ever since Archer went and pretty much. <laughs> to destroy their world. Uh, like, I mean, they could have some kind of revenge set out if they still exist. I mean, but that, like, other than that, there's no other theories. And I, I kind of agree with Stamets. Like, it's it makes no sense for this to be, like, it, it's impossible to be man-made. But it's <laughs> impossible to be natural. Well, it's definitely possible to be man-made because they made a... 2.3 times 10 to the something power version of it on Discovery. So it definitely could be man-made, but they think that the power... Not to that scale. Well, but the power to, that's required to power the scale that they're seeing out in space is n n they don't think it's attainable with current technology. So let me ask you guys this question. Just put yourself in this position in, in, in the room. Would you What do you think would be more plausible? So they said it absolutely couldn't be man. I mean, natural because of its ability to change directions so dramatically and move from place to place like it like it has intention. Yeah. Or that something man made could harness that amount of power to create this to do destruction. Like in my head, I feel like we should explore the natural like just because you don't think it exists in nature doesn't mean it doesn't well um, i think their point was that they they eliminated all of those all of the possibility of it scientifically from being naturally occurring particularly if, if it disappearing and popping up in a totally different place light years away i just feel like if it was man-made they could have it's an easier way to destroy planets and I mean, we've seen that like there's weapons that can destroy planets mm -hmm. like why harness the power of a super star yeah, super. What did he call it at the very end? A super giant, a hyper giant star. Yeah. Like, why go through the trouble of trying to create that just to destroy planets? 
if that's your goal, maybe it's not their goal and we find out later. But I mean, as from what we know now, like if I was a person intent on destroying planets and things like that, like I would just come up with some type of weapon I could mount on a cloaked ship yeah, and do my damage that way. Well, like the burn, maybe it's a mistake. Possibly. So my theory on the power source is that we talked about the mega particle a lot. Was it a couple of seasons oh, ago? Oh, yeah. It, it could go back to the mega particle. It could. It could. Because that's the, the only mega- thing I think that can, that can plausibly power this. But we know the mega particle only creates that energy when it destabilizes and basically explodes. That's the only time it creates that energy. So that means they would have to figure out some kind of way to contain that explosion. And when that explosion happens, it irreparably damages subspace. And so far we hadn't mentioned mm. subspace damage. It does alter subspace. Well, I think that's only because in the Voyager episodes, we don't know how to harness the power of the Omega particle. I think if we knew how to harness the power of it properly, we could use it whatever way we wanted to. The Borg did create that containment sphere that held it for point zero 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 nine tenths of a second or something. And that was 900 years in the past. Well, 800 years in the past, 900 years, some odd years in the past. So right. my two theories are. One, it could be the Borg reemerging to claim space, but that's not really their M.O. to destroy. They want to assimilate. Right. So I would say the Borg, other than that small thing there, but also in this one, Cal, for, for my time person here, this one really freaks me out. There is a Voyager episode where they see Voyager trapped in an anomaly where they see a ship trapped in an anomaly and they go and investigate and find out it's them, right? Yep, I remember that. So what if them, by researching this thing, they create it, and it travels back oh, through time? Oh, wow. That's my theory. Mm. It, it, and also, I'm going to throw another thing in there that could be related, is that Zora is becoming more sentient as we progress. So Zora has access to the research they just did. So I'm not saying it's Zora for sure, but I think I'm I'm just throwing stuff out there because I'm thinking maybe it's going to tie in somehow. So I like that. I think that's very creative. And I really like that. The only thing I don't like about it is since you had control in series two mm. or season two, yeah. I think it would be too similar to somewhere they've already been. If they had not have done that, I think that would be brilliant. And it is still brilliant. But pairing it with something that they've done similar in Series 2, I think that would be a mistake for them to go that route. Mm. Or it could just be control. Yeah. Now, I would love the fact if you took what Clarence said and added in what Jonathan said, to me, that would be just a continuation of the story. Yeah. Cause we thought last season that control might return, but yeah, control on the shoe. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> on your Joe's boot. <laughs> so maybe let me, let, let me pose this real quick before we go on. You know, I haven't done a corny joke in a while. So maybe if considering what this anomaly thing is doing, maybe control has found an alternate way to delete for control alt delete. Oh God. 
Yeah, that was corny. (laughs) (laughs) But it got a chuckle out of me. (laughs) But Control does, I mean, it kind of fits. Like, if there was any person thing that could create something like this, I would throw Control in that. Yeah. Alternately, deleting things. Because ultimately, Control was trying to get the Karen data. And if Zora is a byproduct of the Karen entity data, I think that Control would still make a play for that data and maybe find something nefarious to do to complete the mission he tried to do in the first place, which is destroy everything in the future. So I don't know. That's a good idea. So here's something, and maybe I've missed it, but I think that our our uh, scientists have neglected to think about or mention. Why aren't we examining its targets? Like, mm. what do they have in common? Quajon, this station, this this, and this then, Rodvik uh, chain of uh, asteroids. Well, yeah, yeah, the chain of asteroids and that space station that it kind of yeah. went by and grazed. Like, what was that sign? What was that space station studying? What were they doing on this asteroid belt? Mm. Which brings me to another. Uh, so, you know, when the guy, when the uh, magistrate beamed on board and they said they were here to evacuate him and he said, thank, thanks, Draylon. So that got me looking. It sounded familiar. <clears throat> and uh, this is neither here nor there, but I just thought it was interesting. So there was a DS9 episode where this group of farmers or whatever came from the gamma quadrant through the wormhole looking for a new place to settle and they were called the scria well the scria had this prophecy saying that they were find their their home their new home uh some i don't remember the exact prophecy but it was supposed they thought it would be in bajor well bajor would not allow them to settle because they couldn't sustain that many people settling on their new world so cisco and the crew found draylon 2 for them to settle on and at the end of the episode, they ended up settling there, but they were not happy about it. And that's how it ended with them not being happy about it. Mm. So now we got that kind of thrown in there. I don't just throwing things out there. I don't know. And the magistrate invokes the name Draylon. Yeah. He says, thank Draylon. Like it was a deity. That's interesting. Hmm. So I want to move on, but I want to ask Kyle. I want to go back to you real quick and talk about the similarities or differences between Tarka and Stamets. Is it a case that when you're almost the same person, it's hard to get along with yourself? Mm. You know, I've heard that, that, you know, especially with parents and children, that the parent that some children, whenever they're especially a teenager, butts heads with the most is the one that they are most like. And, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Me and my father used to butt heads all the time. And the older I get, the more I realize how like my father I am. And so maybe that's why they uh, butted heads a little bit. But but kind of taking it really quick on a different angle, I think this made audiences appreciate Stamets a little bit more because this made him come off a little bit more as the nice guy, not the bleep that he usually is yes yes i agree a hundred percent but i also think tarka pushed stamets to go further than he would have because of being probably semi-impressed with his intelligence yes like i i fully fully seen that like stamets just kind of got beside himself with admiration or jealousy whichever you want to call it 
until it kind of made him be outside of who he normally is. Like it's certain. I don't think Stamets would have gone through with that experiment the way he was. He wouldn't have been that pushy with Saru to get this power he needed. Like, I think, I don't know. And uh, kudos to Saru for being the only person to like be strong enough in the presence of someone that is obviously more intelligent Yeah, to just pull the plug on this. But Stamets, I think was fully influenced and almost like he was being controlled. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was definitely, you know, I feel like it was partly appreciation, part, you know, partly him seeing himself slightly in this highly intelligent person. But yeah, he was he was he was buying it hook, hook, line and sinker. And once he was into, I guess you get into this mode where you're in your element, and you just want to learn more and do more. And and he was being egged on by Tarka. So, yeah, it got kind of scary for me for a minute because I thought that. Of course, they're not going to blow up Discovery, but it felt like he was following Tarka a little too closely. Do you think they would have if Saru hadn't stopped it? Uh, well, Tarka did make the case. I don't. I like myself. I don't want to blow up myself. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we know how these hardcore scientists will get so tied up in making the experiment work they forget to take care of themselves. Yeah, and we've seen it time and time again in Star Trek of a. Uh, the space station being destroyed, uh, being crippled because they don't went too far with some experiment. So yeah, I, mm-hmm. I totally get that. So we're going to pivot off of Tarka, but real quick, the, the conversation at the end in the forward lounge with Tarka and book and Tarka scratches his neck. Yes. What was it? It was that a tattoo or a port or is he being controlled by something? <laughs> Cause there's something in the back of his neck. It, I thought it was a tattoo at first, but it looks like it could be like a port or something that where he was injected or I don't know, connected, man. Injected or connected. Okay, so so let me let me pose this. So we've seen in Doctor Who before, specifically Series Seven, I think is the first time we saw this. That spoilers, but a certain Dalek faction had the ability to convert humans to Dalek without making them look Dalek. So mm, interesting. You've already you know gave a theory of the Borg. Perhaps 900 years in the future, the Borg don't necessarily look as the Borg did 900 mm. years ago. Interesting. Yeah, I just have no idea what they're going with him, but I do think Tarka is definitely whether it's Borg or, or whatever, I think he's going to be pivotal for the rest of the season. And do you think he meant for Book to see whatever that was on the back of his neck? I don't know. I felt like he kind of did that on purpose. I think he did, too. And Book recognized it. Mm. Seems like he did anyway. Do you think that was like a recruitment ploy or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely 100 percent believe he's trying to recruit him for something and he's playing on books anger. Oh, wow. To recruit him. And then he shows him this thing on the back of his neck. And I think book recognizes that. I, I just don't know what that is, man. This this dude, you, you, you can't trust the man. I'm telling you. So let's pivot to Hugh Colbert in this episode. Of course, in the previous episode, we got the notion that he too is going through something and man, you gotta love the Kovic Colbert 
interaction in this episode. What do we think about Kovic and his absolute candor? Mm. You know, I'll go back to what I said in the opening that I did. Sometimes you need someone who's basically that really doesn't care about you one way or the other to give you that un-whatever opinion. And I think he needed that because I think he has never as a character dealt with the fact of why me? I like it. But I mean, man, this show is riddled with rabbit holes. Like you, (laughs) before you know it, you're down another rabbit hole and you forget to watch the show. Like, who is Kovic? Like, I'm really like, if <laughs> I got, I almost kind of settled to the point that maybe he was going to be like head of Starfleet personnel or Starfleet Academy. You know, originally we were thinking Section 31, but then I kind of came off of that and like, okay, maybe he's going to be kind of like the Bigsby of Starfleet Academy, you know, just kind of the guy that gave everybody knowledge and advice. And, but now he's, and then he's given, I don't know, like, who is this guy? Yeah. I need to know that. I will say for me, he really won me over in this episode. Any reservations I had about Kovic, him with this absolute truth and honesty for Culber, it, it it really just made me love this character, man. He's he's actually one of my favorites. And, you know, we don't want to get back on the flash drive, but I really liked how Culber admits to as being a therapist or anyone in a position where you have to lift up people and make sure other people are okay. He admits that, you know, he's going through something himself and the fact that he's been putting it on the back burner and not really coming to grips with what he's gone through. You know, why me? Why have I survived? I'm, I'm, I have greater things to do. That's why I'm here, you know? And then I do like the, the point to where we talk about how, and maybe I think this might be relating to, the C word, the COVID <laughs> and the virus of this thing that we thought was naturally occurring, but is man made. I don't know if they're trying to make a relation there, but I do like them kind of bringing it up. Someone having this staggering power. Why would they choose to kill? I thought that was interesting to explore in these, these few moments here. And I do. I, I agree with you, Clarence. He's probably one of my favorite characters. It's just the mystery gets me. <laughs> I, I, I don't sense any ill will. Like, I I do believe he has good intentions, but I also believe he's tied into something way bigger than we know. Yeah. Discovery has a knack for introducing mysterious characters, man. And some we find out pretty soon aren't so bad. You know, we had reservations for Vance, Relic. You know, <laughs> they just keep introducing people. We're like, oh, they could be shady. But usually they show us they're good characters down the line. I guess it's just something they do to make them more interesting early on. So yeah, I'm 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 with you. I'm really loving Kovic. The jury's still out for me on Vance. Really? Uh, he's just he seems I don't know. He seems split. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I I think it's because we are so used to seeing admirals come in and eventually in most of the Star Trek we see there is some angle that yes. they for present with a obstacle. Good point. Good point. Most of the admirals we see in Star Trek wind up being either a holes or bad or brainwashed or something. You know, <laughs> usually there's something going on with them. He just he seems very unsure to be an admiral and to be the head of Starfleet. Like he just 
it feels like he's giving everybody the answers that they're expecting. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Almost like he's being controlled. Mm, here we go with that again. <laughs> <laughs> so the DMA is now headed toward Radvik asteroid belt, where there's a formal emerald chain colony that is inhabited by the Akali with a 50-50 chance of impact, prompting a mass evacuation there in a very limited time window. So, uh, John, the Achille is a species that was first introduced on the Enterprise episode Civilization. Do you actually remember them? I do not. Yeah, I didn't remember them either. They were <laughs> kind of forgetful, <laughs> forgetful to me. But they were first introduced in Enterprise, apparently. Huh. So I did find this mission somewhat similar to Picard's mission to evacuate the people out of the hopeless blast radius, although on a much smaller scale, of course. But I found it kind of similar because in the comics, there is an element where there were some native citizens of some of those planets that the Romans ruled over that they didn't want those people evacuated. They were trying to ignore them. And Picard, like, put his foot, put his stake in the ground is like, we're getting everybody. You know, (laughs) we're not leaving anybody behind. So I feel like this was kind of similar to that, that comic that we got for the prequel to Picard. So let's talk about the examples. So I never quite understand how people always want to work with the Federation or get the benefits of the Federation, but they are vastly different from their morals and principles. And it's like a reoccurring thing in Star Trek where they run into these races that they're helping for some reason or another, but they're so starkly different as far as morals is concerned. And I can see that, you know, different planets, different things, but so I do find it interesting as we get into this evacuation that Reese volunteers to lead an evacuation team. And I, I really got to get you guys' thoughts on this because we got to burn them in a book. Once again, going down to somewhere to do something as a duo. And I just feel like this would have been a great time to have Reese pair up with book or Reese pair up with Burnham, but they only kind of just pop them in and out to give updates. I really think it's a time where they need to start to pivot to more of the supporting characters and not just in there to say a few words, but this could have been a great mission to introduce somebody else on the crew. Oh, absolutely. And take into the fact of we're seeing some new faces on board that I'm not used to seeing before. You know what I'm saying? Where are some of the faces that I can't remember them by name? I'm, I'm sorry, but at the moment, I'm thinking of people that we've seen over and over that aren't on the ship you know, when we see the bridge right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The uh, con officer. What's her name? Detmer. I didn't see her. And then what was what was the uh, black guy? Bryce. Yeah, Bryce, Bryce yeah. is not there, which they did say something in a couple of episodes ago about why he was on and off the ship. But I just think it's an excellent time to start sprinkling in uh, some of the other crew members. This would have been a perfect mission. We really didn't need either Burnham or Book. Maybe burn them more than book, but I just don't want to have this continued pattern of every away mission. It's just them two. You know, that gets boring after a while. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I, as it as as of right now, it's not a problem, but I agree it could become a problem soon. Uh, and even if maybe not necessarily just leave book, but let's take somebody else as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do a three, uh, three person team <laughs> or something. 
I didn't say threesome. <laughs> How dare you, John? Oh, well, I'm just going to stop you before you did, but you've already said it, so now it's there. I mean, on the actual mission and, and learning more about the these prisoners that they want to leave for dead because they've committed these what you think are horrible crimes. But no, these are for like petty crimes. And, and we know this chain of asteroids is a remnant of the Emerald Chain. So any thoughts on maybe why these people are here and maybe more so how they're being treated, I guess, rule with the iron fist. I mean, what what are they if they're just doing these petty crimes and they're going to send us some to death on this on this rock? Um, just any thoughts on that whole ordeal there? I mean, we've seen this before more times than not in Trek. Yeah. I mean, there was a Voyager episode where there was this like prison planet that they were keeping people on. And of course, Federation Janeway got involved and realized it wasn't right and probably intervened when they shouldn't have. But I mean, I think of more and more of these planets that do that. But uh, it's again, you're dealing with a different culture. Mm. And part of the prime directive is, I mean, we have to accept that. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. So people have been raving about the performance of Felix as portrayed by Michael Grias in this episode. Any, any thoughts on Felix, the performance? I personally thought the performance was awesome as well. Uh, any thoughts on that? And maybe if you have, can, can, can elaborate on maybe some of the, of him being remorseful and uh, him being reformed, learning from his mistakes. What, what did you take away from this character Felix in this episode? Uh I, I did. He, I mean, it really was a good character and the actor did a phenomenal job. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of become expected in Discovery. I don't think I've seen a bad acting job yet. And that doesn't take away from his performance. Uh, as short as it may have been, it was great. But he's very reminiscent of and I should have looked this up. But you remember the Voyager episode? where they were transporting these prisoners for this uh, specific planet and they converted to cargo bay. And it was one guy and strangely very familiar looks like this guy. And so what happened, I mean, the rest of these prisoners, you know, they were trying to play like they were good, but they were actually really bad guys. This guy was did some things. He killed people, but he also had the doctor found that he had some kind of There was something wrong with him that was kind of causing him to block out emotions. And once they fixed that, he became very remorseful. He went back and begged for forgiveness, which he did not receive. But it was just a very reminiscent of that episode. And I don't remember the name of that. Yeah. I mean, I I do think the performance uh, and the character Felix was amazing in this episode. And again, I just love how they I think they eloquently showed the. The feelings of remorse, reform, learning from your mistakes, uh, him accepting the consequences and ultimately accepting the punishment for what he did. You know, I really thought that was all poignant and things that we can look at and use in, in our lives today. And, and ultimately also closure, closure for the victim. I thought all of that, those messages in this episode were great. Now, as I just said, Felix chooses to stay and take his chances on the planet. but. It seems like Book and Burnham keep button heads. I mean, do we think this moment of Book really wanting them to save Felix, do you think it's going to have repercussions for the relationship down the road? Not this specifically, but I think this situation is going to push him to make the choice that we were left to believe he was going to make at the end. 
So he's being tempted to help this mm. uh, scientist do something. And the scientist is keying off of his anger and the anger of what happened with Burnham and Felix, I think is going to add to that. Yeah. He's kind of just been stewing this whole <laughs> season. Right. So, and, and imagine this, imagine this. So if by some reason, somebody in the Federation or the Federation accidentally, or somebody part of Federation created this anomaly, this DMA, imagine books feelings toward the Federation and therefore Burnham. Yikes. I hope it's not the Federation. Yeah. And then he's going to go back to this. Well, you know, Federation, your Federation values caused this man to die. Your Federation destroyed my planet. Yeah. yeah man, I don't know, man. This is so much mystery that's still left to unfold in this season. And honestly, myself, of course, we talked about how huge it was for a book's planet to be destroyed. But I'm not quite sure where his character is going. You know, I kind of feel like he had started to get better in the previous episode, but he is he is getting better slowly. You can tell that. But at the same time, it seems like he's being pulled in this opposite direction by these run ins with Burnham, Tarka whispering in his ear. I, I don't I don't know where his character is going, man. I don't either, but I don't I don't honestly agree with him getting better. I think he's getting better at putting on a better face. Hmm. But mm. I think he's the same, if not worse, like just because of this, you know, stages of grief. You know what I mean? And he's at the anger part now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, I will add real quick. I loved how Burnham put the magistrate in his place at the very end of the yes. episode. <laughs> See, yes. your your uh, wherever you ruled it doesn't exist anymore. Those colonies don't exist. So you have no power. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That was very good. I, I love it when Burnham takes control. Honestly, I quick one. Well, no pun intended again, but like that, that's just good to see her take control of a situation and put somebody in their place. Yeah. And I will add again, I loved how I love, even though I wish somebody else would have went on the mission. I do love the execution of the mission. I thought it was fun and interesting. And you get to see Burnham, of course, be super smart and figure out everything, which I'm always here for that <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah, that, we got a lot of techno babble in certain parts of that rescue mission. Yep. So any other thoughts you want to bring up about the episode before we give ratings? Uh, just uh, again, I mean, we lightly touched on it, but very interesting to see the progression of Zora here. She now mm. feels emotions. Yes. And Michael's reaction was like, I don't know if she was, you know, kind of like, Oh, wow. You can do something new or like, oh, boy, this is worrying me, but I don't want to show it because she's going to know. Like we've created a monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if that's going to have repercussions down the line. It's very interesting, but I'm getting a little worried. I am, too. I mean, any AI that starts advancing like that is always cliche a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Open a pie bay doors, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there and I'll start with Cal Jones. Cal Jones, what do you rate this episode? So for me, my final rating for this, I'm going to give it a solid four. I can't really go any higher than that simply because there were some things I didn't like. And I think that we've hit on those. Um, but I think it progressed the story and it felt linear and there were some very good points in it. 
And I thought for that, I'm going to give it a great solid four. All right, man. Cool. Cool. Okay. All right. John, what is your rating for this episode, sir? Oh, man. Well, I'm trying to think of the if there was a negative to this episode to which I can't really find any. And I've really, really enjoyed it. So I'm going to have to go five. Oh, wow. You don't play, man. You be dropping these fives like crazy. <laughs> it's good. Listen, when I can sit down in front of any show, but especially Trick, when I can sit down and be fully, fully enthralled into it to the point like, if my dog barks, I'm pissed because I have to stop and <laughs> rewind for five seconds because I don't want to miss what just was just said five seconds ago. Like yeah. if it has me that involved, that's great TV for me. Yeah, I, I agree. This episode was great. It was cool seeing as far as from a visual effects standpoint, we got to see the the DMA mini DMA on the discovery, which I thought was cool. We got to see uh, Tignataro's character. Which I forget the name of the character. Reno, right? Yeah, Jet, Jet Reno. Reno. Jet Reno. Jet Reno, there you go. And now I heard Tasha said this, so I didn't really go back and research it. But our friend Tasha from After the Snap, she said that Reno shot all of her, that Reno shot all of her sequences by herself. Really? Yeah. So the editing there I thought was really good because I didn't even know it until Tasha mentioned it. So that's pretty cool. Like, I even knowing it, I can't even <laughs> figure that out. Like, credit to her as an actor to, to pull that off. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And also, there's another movie. Just to talk about, you know, the actor again. Is it Army of the Dead? There's some other movie she just recently did where she did pickup shots after the movie was complete. And she did it all on green screen. Now, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if it works, but... Apparently, she did all her shots for that movie after the fact. Wow. In post-production. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, kudos to Tignataro. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, man, I'm going to rate it of uh, 4.6 out of 5. I really enjoyed it. I really didn't hate anything. But, you know, I'm just saving a little room there because, man, we've really been rating these high. <laughs> I've really been loving them. But, man, I just don't want the bottom to fall out where we're going to have an episode. I'll be like, two. <laughs> you know, I worry about that when I'm rating these fives, man. But I just kind of have to say, I have to tell myself, is it something about it? If I say five, it's because there's absolutely nothing about that episode I would have changed. Yeah. yeah. And that was this one. No, I agree. It's a fantastic episode, man. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And with that, uh, guys, if you have any feedback of your own, you can send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. And you can also use those outlets for Trek trivia. John, do you have any Trek trivia for this week? I do have a little bit of Trek trivia with a little bit of Trek education as well. Okay. Give it to us. As we know, the uh, Federation has become a non-currency civilization, so they don't pay or barter with any kind of monetary value. But there are a lot of other species that use some form of payment. And we know that payment, if you don't know, I'm sure everybody knows, it's a gold-pressed latinum. Yeah. The education on that is uh, gold-pressed latinum is actually liquid latinum that's been suspended in gold. 
Yeah, yeah. Small amounts, which we found out on DS9 episode Who Mourns for Mourn when he had liquid <laughs> latinum in his second stomach, which when we found out looked like maybe four ounces or it's like a hundred so so many units of gold press latinum. Yeah, he, he, spit, he spits on out for a quirk at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for all his troubles. <laughs> for all his troubles. So my trick trivia is we know there are four denominations i guess you would say of latinum uh and one of them is a bar and another one is a strip do you know the other two wow i didn't know there were four denominations of latinum yep bar and strip would be the two in the middle so we have the lowest one and the highest one gold press latinum bars i've seen that i've seen strip i think that's all i can think of Oh, man. DS9 fans are probably yelling the answer at you right now. Do we want to throw it out there for our listeners this time? We want to leave it? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. So, guys, if you know what the other two denominations of gold-pressed latinum are, other than bars and strips, there's two more. If you know that answer, hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias, or you can hit us up fans at DiscussingTrek.com via email if you know the answer so cool good question man good question thank you sir and with that we'll go ahead and wrap things up as always guys thank you for listening this has been a fun review and until next time guys live long and prosper Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.